0: Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Today is Christ the King Sunday. This is the culmination of the entire liturgical year. It's just an exciting thing to me. This is the day in which we praise Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, who now sits on the throne room in heaven, or sits in the throne room in heaven. And as our colleagues said, our opening prayer for the day said, he is coming back. In order to bring all of creation under his most gracious rule, as it said. Now, each of the assigned readings that we had today uh, draw us even further into this glorious theme. In Ezekiel, we hear or we see the Lord Yahweh say that he himself will come and shepherd his people with gentleness and with, with healing. And then in the first letter letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul declares that the Messiah will return to destroy death itself, and he will reign over all creation for all of eternity. From its first pages to its final pages, the Bible promises, friends, that the king will return with justice and healing and peace. Now, I have to admit that there is an inner part of me that protests against these things. You see, I have this inner atheist that lives inside of me, and I think many of you might as well. I have this voice inside of me that says, these things are just too epic. They're too great. They're too overwhelming. They're too beautiful. There's a part of me that just scoffs at these things and thinks there's no way that this could possibly actually happen. But even more clear than that, there is this still. Quiet voice inside, saying, "Just wait, just wait, just you wait, for the King is coming." So, these past several weeks, uh, we've been preaching through uh, this chapter and the chapter before. We've been paying attention to Jesus's final teaching. This. This culmination of his entire earthly ministry. And this is the final one. This is the, the, the jewel that sits upon all of the others that he's been uh, going through. We've heard about so many beautiful parables. We've, we've looked at the parable of the wedding feast, the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the talents. And each of these are, are, have, have causes of, of, or stir us to, into greater preparation and waiting and longing for our King to come and make everything right, to eradicate evil from our own hearts and from our hearts and, and from the world itself. But today's passage is a little bit different, because this one is not a parable. And sometimes it's easy for us to read it, because it's just following a series of parables. But this one is not a parable. The Son of Man is actually coming back in glory. There is not a metaphor about that. He is coming back in full reality. He is coming back. Jesus will come again, All nations will be resurrected and gathered before him. Time itself will be folded into another era. Explain that one to me, right? Like how in the world is that going to happen? Now, yes, this will be like a Palestinian shepherd who separates his animals before the arrival of night, but that is a short metaphor for eternal realities, the coming of Christ, let us look at this passage a little bit closer. When the Son of Man comes again, Jesus says in verse 31, he comes again in his glory and all of the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. Did you catch how much glory is in this passage? You know, the first coming of Jesus was essentially hidden. Most people didn't recognize who he was, Surely, if if you were in the crowd those days and you were seeing, or if Jesus was in the crowd those days and, and you happened to be looking at a group of people, there's no way you would have been able to pick him out and say, that's the son of God. That's the second person of the Trinity. No, but when he comes again, there will be not a shadow of doubt as to who this is. He will come clothed in glory and not just with one angel army with him but all of the angel armies, every angel ever created will come descend with him upon the world and he will sit on a glorious throne. The throne of his first coming was the cross. The throne of his second coming will be utter and complete glory and all nations will gather before him. No one's excluded from this. You will be there. I will be there. Grandma and grandpa will be there. Your kids, kids, kids will be there. Your favorite politicians will be there. Your least favorite politicians will be there. Everyone will be there. Every historical figure will be there. From the the worst dictators who've ever walked this planet to the kindest, most quietest saints as well, every single human being will be there. And Jesus will begin to sort us. Someone is right and someone is left. And to the right, he says, come, welcome, welcome, come, those who are blessed by my Father, those who receive blessing from my Father, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. So why are these folks welcomed into the kingdom? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 35, he says, for I was hungry and you gave me food, thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick, I was in prison, and you ministered to me. Now, isn't it remarkable how simple these actions are? These aren't sophisticated, these aren't complicated. St. Chrysostom says this He says, We do not hear, I was sick, and you miraculously healed me. We don't hear, I was in prison, and you immediately freed me. No, it was, You visited me, you handed me a glass of water. How simple and how profound. And what, so what Christ lists here, these are, these are small acts. The glorious Jesus welcomes into his eternal kingdom, his eternal kingdom, those who did what? Handed a glass of water to someone in need. Your eternal salvation might hinge on whether or not you handed someone in need a glass of water. Like wrap your imaginations around that, right? So also we see that Jesus is actually concerned about the whole person, their physical and emotional well-being as well, right? Look again at these good works. They're they're works of providing food and water and shelter. These are things of, of being physically present with people who are lonely and people who are stuck in life. Like this is remarkably simple, easy, and beautiful. But you know what else is remarkable about the righteous people in this moment? They have no idea They're totally clueless that they've actually ministered to Jesus himself. Lord, when did we see you, they say. When did this happen? In other words, they don't get the connection here. The righteous are righteously confused. (laughs) Here is Jesus, the great king of the cosmos, sitting before them in all of his radiant glory and his mighty power and his overwhelming beauty. And so, of course, if Jesus is saying, you fed me, you gave me water, you clothed me, they're probably thinking, you know what, Jesus? I think I would have remembered that. Like, I think that's something that would have stuck out to me because if I had handed you a glass of water, it would have just evaporated immediately, right? Like, that would have been a remarkable experience to try to do. But the righteous here, or what's happening here, is that a great mystery of our incarnate king is being revealed. You you see, he is the God who stoops. He is the God of incarnation and sacrament. He is the God who is not afraid of matter. He is a God who is not afraid of the dirty. He clothes himself in flesh and stoops and walks among us. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, just as you did it to me, you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. You did it to me. You did it to me. So how do I explain this? How do I, as a mere mortal, standing in front of you, explain the the deep philosophical and theological beauty that is in this single sentence that Jesus says? How do I cover that in even just a few minutes or even an entire lifetime? That when you serve the poor and the least among in our world, we're actually serving Christ himself. That's one of the great mysteries of Christianity. That even the smallest acts of love to those in need is an, an encounter with Christ himself. And what other religion professes anything close to that? What other religion does that? Like sure, some other religions might say something like, yes, you should love others. And other religions will say, yes, you should care for the poor and the needy. But what other religion in all of the world says that when you serve the poor, the sick, and the prisoner, guess what? You're actually serving the creator of the cosmos himself. Like it almost feels blasphemous to even be saying that right now. So uh, there's a man, uh, Bill Robinson, who used to be the president of Whitworth College a little bit ago. And uh, he tells this story of when he was doing prison ministry, actually here at, at the Stillwater Prison uh, in Minnesota, uh, in Stillwater, Minnesota. And he tells the story of when he was arriving there to minister to some of the inmates. The prison chaplain pulls him aside and says, don't forget, Bill, if Matthew 25 is right, You didn't come here to bring Jesus to these guys. You came to find him. Like, how beautiful is that? So now let us turn our attention to the left. To these, Jesus turns. And the the structure of this dialogue parallels what we just heard Jesus say to the right. But rather than saying welcome to those who are blessed by his father, he tells these who are cursed to depart now, to put it lightly, Jesus distances himself from the wicked. Now, I don't know if you caught this, but there's a subtle omission in this second part. The first part, those on the right, those are called blessed. And they receive the blessing from who? It says that they receive their blessing from the Father. But, though he, but now, when we look to the left, those are cursed. And there's no mention of their cursedness coming from the Father. So I wonder, maybe this is some sort of way in which Jesus is saying that the curse in which these people have originates from themselves. And the blessing that the blessed get, are receiving, comes from outside of themselves. That is the grace that is in this passage. That all of the blessing that they receive comes and originates from the Father himself. But for the curse, it's their own habits. It's their own aversion to suffering. It's their own inability to stoop that leads them here to this moment. And where do they go? Well, they go to a place that's not originally intended for humanity. You see, the eternal fire that they are stepping into, that they're being sent into, it wasn't meant for human beings. It's meant for the devil and his angels. You see, the original intent for men and women are to be, is to be representatives of God himself. We were originally created to be stewards and explorers, engineers and artists, worshipers of the creator among his creation. Well, our rebellion against the divine destines us to the same fire to which the devil is headed. Now the, now let's look at what Jesus says to the wicked. He says, "I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, naked, I was in prison, and you did not minister to me." Again, it should be shocking to us how simple these tasks are. We're not talking about stealing. We're not talking about lying. We're not talking about committing adultery or murder, as heinous and evil as those things are. No, we're talking about simple tasks, not giving a drink of water to somebody. In fact, the the fact that they did nothing, nothing at all, not a drink of water, destines them to hell. Now, I wonder when I read this passage, are there other areas of faithfulness in their lives? What else do, these, what do, these li- do the lives of these people look like? Do they go to church every week? Are these people who give faithfully to the church? Do they read their Bibles every day? You know, this passage should rattle all of us because here we're, we're talking about every single person in all of human history ending up in either heaven or hell. And Jesus says that it comes down to even these simplest acts of love to those in need and Jesus isn't looking at the faithfulness in all the other areas of life. This is the issue that he's looking at. Now again, that's not to say that the other things aren't important. Most definitely they are. But on the final day, at the this is what Jesus wants to look at. Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, "If I speak in tongues but have not love, I am a noisy gong. Prophetic powers, if I have all faith to remove mountains, if I deliver my own body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. It doesn't matter how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter how many uh, scriptures you have memorized. It doesn't matter how much you give away. If you have not love, you have nothing. brothers and sisters, that should rattle us all. Well, these two do not recognize the presence of the Lord in their midst. In the same way in which the righteous were ignorant of their virtues, here the outcasts are ignorant of their sin. But when, Jesus? When did we see you? When did we see you and ignore you? And again, this is a warning for us all. How often are we ourselves, friends, blind to God in our midst? How often do we walk past the weak, ignore the needy, or refuse the sick? The text is clear. To avoid, ignore, or refuse those in need is to ignore, avoid, and refuse God himself. Martin Luther says this, who could have thought it up that God himself throws himself down so deep into our midst and he accepts our work, our acts of love. Who would have thought that, that when that happens, that when we, when we serve in this way, it is as if we're serving him. So hear this. Thus the world is full of God in every alley behind your door. This is where we find Christ. He is everywhere. So I was catching up with a dear friend this week. And this friend, um, I don't want to share too many details. Some of you might know who he is. Uh, But he works for a small mission organization, not in this city. Um, But he works among the poor and the marginalized, you know, the kind of people who are described in this passage and the kind of people who, quite honestly, the church often ignores. And my friend was being super vulnerable with me. He said, you know, Rick, as even as I'm doing this, there are days in which I'm not even sure if God exists. He was getting choked up as he was sharing this, you know. Imagine committing your life to those kinds of things, to those kinds of ministries, and even wrestling with that level of doubt. And I wonder, you know, maybe some of you here watching on the live stream are perhaps in a similar place. You know, how many of you, even as you've been trying to, to watch this on the live stream, are only catching bits and pieces of it, right? You know, maybe you're like, what in the world is Rick talking about? You know, you're only catching parts of it because there's these little people who are tugging on you right now, asking for water, telling you that they're hungry, vying for your attention. You know, how many of you are just even mentally um, maybe dazing in and out right now? You know, maybe you can't remember much of what's happened in the service so far, because you're absolutely exhausted from the full week of taking temperatures, um, administering IVs, reading health charts, trying to search for one simple encouraging word for a sick person in front of you. Or maybe some of you are working retail jobs and you're you're handing out coffee to people, and you're just wondering over and over again, does this stuff even matter? Does God even see me as I'm trying to help people in these small ways? And perhaps you're even asking, does God even exist right now? Well, friends, I hope to say to you that if nothing else, what this story tells us is that Jesus sees you. He sees you, he sees your service, he sees the changed diapers, he sees the exhaustion that you have. He sees the ways in which you look for the the word of encouragement. He sees the ways you spend time with those who the world has ignored. He sees you and he loves you. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, may indeed we receive the blessing of your Father. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, so that we might find those who are in need and give them just simple acts of service. Lord, we want to encounter you. We want to see you. May it be so. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.